All right, let's talk about Marquette basketball. Um, my name is Patrick Leary, joined by Ben Snyder, as always. We are doing this as a live Twitter space where Ben and I are Zooming as we do to normally record this and hopefully going to get some uh, people's input uh, into this uh, as we're running this from the, the space, at least the Twitter space from the main account uh, tonight. So hoping that we can get some more traffic um, in here than we normally do. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, but at any rate, we're just going to do our podcast. And if people uh, come on and want to chime in, then they can chime in. Um, and we'll, we'll kick it over to people. Um, but you know, we've already got our, you know, distinguished, um, MUBB guests here, um, that we can kick it to at some point. Um, I guess we can put you guys on right now. Uh, give me a second. Um, there's Joe, there's Alan. Um, I'd like to note that I'm podcasting in extreme conditions right now in, it's funny, it's funny, that's in, in Kansas City. We're getting winds of like 60 to 70 oh. miles an hour downtown. Oh, wow. So, so the, oh, yeah. torna- the tornado uh, stuff is sort of coming your way? Uh, we're getting uh, some tornado warnings, but it's kind of one of those things where at this point in my life, you can just kind of look at the sky and tell if it's going to be serious and the sky doesn't really look green. So yeah, probably that's a, that's pretty, that's pretty frightening. Hope, hope all is, all is well there. Um, oh yeah. We're, oh yeah. We're fine. Th- this is very much in jest from my part. I, I don't think it's going to be much, but uh, okay. we, we pod, we pod on. Yeah. Well, I'm also, I'm, I'm podcasting uh, through some university as well. I got my booster shot yesterday. Oh um, wow. And am probably about a, four or five out of 10 as far as like energy and overall uh, um, consistency of positive feeling at the moment. So we'll sure. Uh, I will, uh, I will give a plug actually to those who might not have had a booster shot yet. If you uh, haven't got one and are going to be getting one soon, I would highly suggest uh seeing if Moderna or Pfizer are offering clinical trials in your city because I am getting paid to get my booster shot. Oh, wow. It is is, fantastic. That's a huge win. Love that. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I think Moderna's, uh, some of them are offering between like 25, 3,000 bucks for like a year long thing. And it's just like, you fill out some diary entries, answer some phone calls. They draw your blood a few times and that's it. It's fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, so congratulations. There's your, there's, there's your public health moment of the day. Yeah. Do you want to talk about UCLA or we can, we can still talk about booster shots if you'd like. We, let, let, let's talk about uh, Marquette, UCLA, Kansas State, all the basketball things. Yeah. Great. Um, I guess we could talk about Kansas State too. I didn't even think about that. It feels like. It was like a week ago now, but that's actually right. Yeah, it's definitely was quite an amazing experience. One that I was quite pleased by overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the um, the one that's fresh on my mind is the um, rather disappointing um, defeat to UCLA, where um, 
there it was not very fun to watch that game. No, it was not. But, no, the the shooting could have been better. I'm I'm gonna say it. I'm gonna say it, Pat. Come here for the bull takes. Yeah. I mean you're really you're really um going out on a limb with that one. Um but yeah, I, I would say definitively the shooting could have been better. Um shooting was quite bad. Um I will go out I will also go on a limb. Uh it, really um <laughs> I mean if you take Greg Elliott out of the mix, um I was yeah, I was I was gonna say he was kind of the one and only shining star of that from the offensive end because uh there was really no one else and it's maybe possibly time to uh put Tyler Kolek away from the Kate and Reinhardt category and into the I'm probably worried category. <laughs> Were we putting him in the Kate and Reinhardt category? What is the Kate I put him in the Kate and Reinhardt category? Is just, the is uh, the Kate and Reinhardt category loves to party on Third Street? Is that the is that the category <laughs> that we're talking about? No, because uh, he had uh, at least for most of the non conference schedule in his uh, 2017 season, he was pretty abysmal from a shooting perspective, while still providing some, you know, good playmaking floor managing sort of skills and as I recall there were some discussions on how worried we were about him potentially coming into form especially since the team really needed every bit of offense they could get with the lack of defense on the team and then he ended up turning it around around conference play and as we are probably mostly aware was one of the main reasons that we beat Villanova that year and yeah. also got to the tournament so um, I have in my mind put Tyler Kolek in that category up to this point, but I'm not as confident in that categorization anymore. Yeah. Um, do you want to start with Tyler Kolek if we're going to like break this down? I think that there's a, there's definitely a discussion to be had here. Um, mm-hmm. A cool, a cool 33.7 uh, O rating for Tyler against UCLA. Yeah. Uh, with, um, he was 0 for 6, 0 for 5 from the from the field with five turnovers and seven assists and four steals. What a weird game. And and four yeah. four rebounds. What a weird weird. Very weird. And normally game. normally he hasn't had like super bad turnover games. So if that's something that is gonna maybe revert back to the mean, then I'm not sure how much his playmaking and passing abilities can offset all of that. He's 0 for 11 in his last two games from shooting beyond the arc. And before that, uh, the game, the three games before that, he was three for um, 14. So um, it's really, uh, it's really been bad. The one, the one good three point shooting game really, unless I guess he, he was two for three against Illinois, it was a four for eight game against West Virginia, which kind of right. put him out there as potentially a three-point weapon. And Yeah, that, that was, yeah, we kind of thought of that as the yeah. quote-unquote breakout game, yeah. Yeah, because he, he also had eight assists in that game as well. Um, 
the uh, three pointers uh, since that four for eight game. He's three for three for twenty three. I think it's three for twenty seven. Oh right, yeah. I don't think that. Yeah, I, I tweeted out three of twenty three, but he had shot more since then. Yeah. Yeah, but that was probably before the last game because he was 0 for 4 yeah. last game. So he's now 3 for 27. So, yeah, 3 for 27. That's uh, really bad. Um, And, yeah, I think I'm definitely concerned because I think he – I like what he adds. I know you're sort of the individual player defense guru that we um, try – or that you're kind of very into that subject and you can probably uh, share your thoughts. But I would say um, he makes plays – on defense that excite me from time to time, but when oh, yeah. he's like a, a reliable defender. Um, the Illinois game with the and one and the steal. Yeah, totally. And, and I think he, he's just very good about like getting his hand um, into uh, not passing lanes, but you know, like getting a quick contest in, into a shot or um, how many blocks did he have this season? He's only yeah. he's very good at uh, the half court trap as well. Uh, yeah, and he's quite... always been a big fan of the way that he can find those different angles to corner ball handlers when they come up the court. It's not always we the turnover numbers haven't been like full on havoc, but mm-hmm. there's definitely enough disruption in his game to really just shake up some of those opponents. Like again, yeah. like it. Tiger Campbell didn't, from my memory, he shot pretty well, but it didn't seem like he was fully comfortable running the offense, which is kind of his main thing. Because you see, like, the defense was fantastic. Here's, I guess, what I'll say, the bottom line about Kolick on offense. Yeah, the defense was fantastic in the UCLA game. A very underrated. Yeah, I don't want to go too far ahead of that. UCLA shot making. Um uh, good at points, but Marquette, like if UCLA didn't have some like really quality shot makers, Marquette might have been in that game. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> despite how bad Marquette played on offense, um, right? Kolick has, um, uh, doing this math quickly here, Kolick has three games this season, two games this season two games this season where he hasn't made a field goal out of 11 and he's got four where he's only made one field goal man in addition to that. So his, his scoring is a problem. It it's really like his inability to sell as a shooter and kind of kind of being a dead zone right now as a shooter scorer is a huge issue. Um, his passing is remains elite. And if the um, goal is to get as many um, corner threes as possible, um, which has seemed like the game plan in a lot of Marquette games, he's great at throwing that hook pass pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the it's bigger beautiful. thing... Yeah, it is. It's great. It's, it's a great asset. Um, I think the bigger thing though is um, Marquette needs to not shoot as many threes. Yeah. Uh, And against UCLA, that game plan was very clearly that we're going to just 
shoot threes and try to hang with these guys. Um, and it became very obvious very quickly that that was not a good game plan. Um, Marquette was eight of 33 from three in that game, which that's way too many attempts. Um, and Greg Elliott accounted for six of those makes, um, Man. which is, again, it's just, you, you look at, I mean, uh, Lewis was like, like compared to compared to 24, two point attempts. Yeah. In that game. Well, also that that's also really concerning. Yeah. Um, yeah, not good. Um, <laughs> but Pollock 0 for 4, Lewis 0 for 7, Morcel 1 for 4, Jones 1 for 5, Prosper 0 for 2, and then a miss each for Mitchell and Joplin. So it's not. Yeah, we, we all, it also might, it's worth, it's not worth the whole discussion about Tyler Kolek, but quietly Justin Lewis has had four pretty subpar games. He had a, his, First half against K-State, I actually should say, was very good. I feel like he dropped off a decent amount in the second half of that game, but um, he was obviously not good during the Wisconsin game. And then uh, Jackson State, I believe, was the game before, and he was pretty shaky during that. And so throw in an 0 for 7 against UCLA, I'm – Again, not worth the full discussion, but it's the sort of thing that really doesn't help when your whole team is in an offensive slump and you kind of need just the one guy to pick you up. The Marcus Howard type, at least we can rely on this guy. Yeah. Sort of thing. Lewis is a huge key for them offensively because they can get easier-ish baskets through him. Um, but he's much less valuable when he's just clanking threes as he was um, against UCLA. Like 0 for 7 is really detrimental. Compare that to the stretch that he had um, in the first two games in um, Columbia, or Columbia, no, not Columbia, Charleston, um, where he was 5 of 8 and 3 for 7. Um, and then he, you know, ends up 0 for 7 against UCLA, which is, you know, you, this team does not shoot well enough to have four or five guys have a slump um, in one night. I think the mm-hmm. I think the more concerning part is how often do we think going forward there will be shooting slumps like that? Because it seemed like right. Jaka wanted the half court offense to. Uh, dang it! That was me again. Wanted the wanted the <laughs> <laughs> wanted the uh, half court offense to uh, surround um, uh, three point shots uh, primarily, um, and so I think doing that was not is not optimal for how Marquette should try to play. The problem is Marquette should probably try to force as many turnovers as possible and score a transition. And Marquette has both been struggling to score off of live ball turnovers and played a bunch of teams in a row with good guard play that are tough to turn over. So it kind of backs you into a corner uh, game plan wise. Um, But obviously the priority needs to be, 
either adding better shooters to this roster um, in the coming years or, you know, figuring out a, a different approach to um, that's not so three-pointer heavy going forward because that's really, really what put them behind the eight ball against UCLA was they just would go down on every possession and chuck a brick at the rim. Right, and it's just so – it's weird because the – I'm looking at the offense being run and I'm like, wow, this is a good looking offense. It looks like they really know what they're doing out there. They are passing the ball super crisply. It's good intentional dribbling without just inviting defenders into you, but it's not playing into the current skill set of the team. And it, what does kind of puzzle me is what you mentioned about the forcing turnovers thing, which when you're depleted in the talent pool, which I mean, Marquette kind of clearly is the way you try to go about that is by these a little bit more inherently risky strategy things which for a lot of like you know those mid-major teams it's either slowing the game down tremendously or just creating as much chaos or havoc as possible Mm. in the form of turnovers and like offensive rebounds which if you look at Chagas VCU days we remember the turnovers but those offensive rebounding numbers were also pretty high up there from the national perspective and yeah both of those have been particularly the offensive rebounds have numbers have been not really good. Do you mean the, like the other teams offensive rebounds just so I'm on the same, because that's what I guess, I guess, honestly, both I was thinking from the perspective of like missing your own shot and following that up. And even if you miss the offensive rebound, you're still right next to the guy, but also like the team is giving up way more offensive rebounds than it should as well. Yeah. Well, one thing I've noticed from a rebounding perspective is the two centers for Marquette are shot blocking centers and not rebounding mm-hmm. centers. Mm-hmm. Um, Marquette really rebounds well when whoever they have at the four is attacking the rim, whether that be um, Justin Lewis or um, Oso or not Oso, um, Omax Prosper. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think I've noticed at least visually, maybe not, maybe the evidence doesn't totally support this, but with those two guys, when they are committed to attacking the rim on, at least on the defensive end, uh, the rebounding improves. But when like uh, against UCLA, that UCLA center uh, really uh, gave, and you know what? I admittedly like didn't really know anything about that guy coming in. I know. Yeah. He was a transfer from, Rutgers yeah uh, I forget if it was Rutgers or uh NC State I'm Rutgers, you're there's this there's a similar guy on each team but yeah. Miles whatever Johnson. school he can Rutgers yeah he, he was yeah Rutgers I was a in the brief time that I thought Rutgers was going to be really good when they uh beat uh Seton Hall in that one game uh I had my eye on Miles Johnson as one of those just well you are put him uh, around the rim and have him block everything sort of guy uncanny evaluator of talent as we know so Um, (laughs) but uh uh johnson 
to make that point I was going to make, um, Oso Iguodaro had a stretch where he allowed three offensive rebounds on the same possession, um, like mm, in his yeah. orbit. And it's one of those things where if a big guy is giving um, Marquette's um, lanky shot blocking bigs um, some physical issues in the post, um, that could be a ongoing factor that mm-hmm. continues to crop up uh, in Biggie's play. I think there are a number of those in Biggie's play, which could be, I don't, I, well, Nate Watson really is the one that sticks in my head, but. Zach Fremantle sticks out in my head as well. Is he, is he like physical? I feel like it's just kind of a big dude. How yeah. big is he? Nate Watson. Six nine two twenty. Nate Watson for me just. Yeah. Every single game he's played against Marquette, I've, I feel like has been an overperformance for his overall career. But he's having a good And, um, uh, who's, uh, oof, God, he's got a 117 O rating this year. On, on, uh, I'm, I'm using, using Torvik. I'm using Torvik. I just need to qualify that because, um, my Ken Palm subscription is in flux and I need to update it. Um, Oh, man. I know, um, but the the Torvik numbers have him um, as Providence best player this season, and has um, him at an O rating of one seventeen, which is preposterously high. Um, he's shooting he's shooting sixty four percent from the field this year. That's quite good. Seventy two of one hundred twelve and zero three attempts. Quite and normally, good. Providence is the type of team that like has one of those super slow starts just to fill it up during big East yeah. play and just ruin everyone's schedule. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would say, I mean, them being 10 and one, I would say is a little bit of a factor of they didn't play that good of a schedule, but they have wins over Wisconsin, Northwestern and Texas tech, as well as quality mid-majors like Rhode Island and Vermont. So I, I would say that that's, that's a pretty well-rounded their one loss is a 40 point scoring game against Virginia though, which yeah, that's the, that's, that's a real way worse by the day. It's a real red flag in the middle of that resume. But I think Providence is, is definitely a team that maybe like you said, could, could, or should be ranked. Um, Marquette's first game in the big East is against Xavier. Um, That's going to be not fun. Um, (laughs) The spread the spread on Torvik Torvik, by the way, hates Marquette one Oh seven in Torvik for, for Marquette. Yeah. Even though Marquette's it's a Wisconsin, it's the anti Marquette bias as a Wisconsin fan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We have to, yeah, Torvik's uh Torvik's a Wisconsin guy, but I, I just think um, it's probably not a bad um, take about Marquette, but all that is to say that uh, the Xavier spread he has is 14 and a half, man, which is a well, lot. <laughs> And it's it actually this game, this will probably be the first major test in if Shaka really wants to maximize the offensive output of this team specifically, or if he's really trying to set a system for future teams. Because, uh, oh, wait, no, looking at Seton Hall, never mind. I was looking at the Ken Palm numbers for what turned out to be Seton Hall, and I was going to go up. Ne- never mind. Tough one. Uh, yeah, yeah, tough scenes here. Never mind. Uh, what do you know about this Colby Jones guy? Colby Jones, nothing. I have he, not. I have not 
a sophomore at Xavier, a sophomore for Xavier playing their best. Um, mm-hmm. Joe or Allen, do you have any? Do you have any uh, uh, Colby Jones uh, scouting reports for us? If if you're still um, able to, I remember Adam me. Kunkel. I remember Kunkel. Yeah, he hit the shot. Regretfully, I have no uh, no scouting report on Colby Jones. I'm mm. sorry. Bummer. Yeah, because I because I know like that is my contribution to this podcast. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. No, that's, <laughs> why we, that's why we that's why we went to you there. Um, cause I know Scruggs obviously has been their best player forever. Um, that Nunji dude is gigantic. Um, Fremantle is like a stretch four kind of guy. Um, although no, maybe not. Why did I think Fremantle was a stretch four? He's only shot three threes this year. Never mind. Definitely not a stretch four. Bad scouting report. Um, Kunkel over a lot. Do they? Kunkel is yeah. only shooting 35% this year, which is, I would say, fine, but not. Um, where's the. Oh, they do turn over a lot. That is yeah, not. 260th in turnover rate. I wonder if they lack a true point. Although, yeah, because Scruggs is leading the team in assist rate, but and, also turnover rate. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Scruggs is not a point guard. Um, yeah, they've kind of like tried to have him fit that. Like last year, that was kind of his role, and that was probably his best, like quote unquote, point guard job of his career. But he's kind of always had trouble coughing up the ball a little too much. So it's not that surprising that the team as a whole is turning it over a bit. I think they might actually be just about to tip off. Oh no, they just did. They are playing against Moorhead State right now. Mm, um, I. Remember the middle school jokes about them when they had that yeah, one tournament yeah, one? Yeah. Uh, I have, have a secondhand one um, that um, my uh, buddy uh, from college told me that when that game happened, that the uh, guys on either side of the lunchroom were doing, were like doing like the chant where like you go like, like across for say one thing and across to say the other. And it's like more. Yeah. One half says this. One half. More. That's, <laughs> that is very fun. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's classic. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It looks like. So I guess actually, you know, since like the conference schedule is starting up and, you know, it's pretty early this year, but we still had a pretty full non-conference schedule. So it's probably worth, revisiting our preseason expectations. How do you feel about this team now compared to what you would have guessed you would feel about the team coming into the year? Well, the one thing I'll say is looking at some of the wins Marquette got on paper, uh, I would have probably expected worse. Um, As I sit and look at eight and three with a couple of quality wins, I'm like, yeah, you know, fine sure but in a sort of like preseason mindset where my expectations were just let the kids have fun out there uh essentially i mean being eight and three (laughs) with wins over illinois west virginia ole miss and kansas state as a true road game um is pretty sweet so Mm. I, i mean i i would say definitely overachieved um but the question is the losses, the three losses, all blowouts, um, mm-hmm. all deeply flawed performances where they couldn't 
really do anything on offense. So as far as what that means going forward, um, I'm not really sure what to expect. And I don't think um, I am convinced that this is a tournament team um, since I've watched the um, Wisconsin and UCLA games where now obviously UCLA is very good. I think Wisconsin's very good. They've been playing kind of crappy um, for a couple of different games, but I think Jordan Davis is Jordan Davis, Johnny Davis, Jordan Davis <laughs> is the brother um, is really good. Um, but yeah, as far as like, do I still think this is a tournament team that I was just like, Oh yeah, look, this team could go to the tournament. I'm like 50, 50, because if you look at what their record would be, if they go nine and 11 in the big East, which is kind of that minimum point, it would be 17 and 14. So Mm -hmm. the question is, does 17 and 14 get like a 10 seed um, because of how good some of the wins are. And I don't really know whether that's a yes or no. So then you look at it, it's like, okay, 10 and 10, that feels good. 18 and 13, but does 10 and 10 feel realistic? And I think that's a, that's a stretch. Because yeah. I think the metrics are still sort of viewing Marquette as a lower tier Big East team. Um, yeah. Where to just say, yeah, 10 and 10, sure, doable. Where essentially you lose, you get swept by three teams and sweep three teams, the bottom three teams, or whatever that ends up looking like, 10 and 10. Um, yeah. I think that's a that's a tough ask because I think every game is losable for Marquette in the Big East this year, um, mm-hmm. which, and, and I'm not and, sure every game is winnable. Yeah, the fact that, I mean, to me, I think Georgetown is going to end up being a disaster by the time that mm-hmm. the conference season rolls in. So I, I, my Georgetown thing, I've watched almost more Georgetown than any other team this offseason because I just love to see them struggle and buy games. Like ever, it's very ever, fun. I saw that game. It was yeah. music to my ears. They were down at they were down at halftime to Howard today, and I was watching it. Um, they. Wow. Uh, the Dartmouth game um, just like got me hooked on watching Georgetown be bad. Um, and Love I, it. I've not, I've not gone back since uh, they've, they've struggled in a couple of other bye games. I don't think they've lost any of any of them since Dartmouth, but I like to watch them. I like to watch them struggle. It's very fun. So if we're going to count on. Yes. With a Georgetown a take or just in general. Ooh. Uh, actually with a wonderful take to get to the tournament take. Yes. Go ahead. This is Alan Bukowski for everyone listening to the podcast. <laughs> you don't think it'll you don't think ten and ten's enough? No. The the problem with the Marquette right now is their net sucks. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I think you're right. to get their net up, they need you have to get into at least the sixties, probably the fifties. Yeah. And you figure every win versus every loss is gonna move you up about same amount. 10 and 10 would move us up a little bit just because of the strength of the babies. So that might get us to around 65. But that's really, really nice. I think 11 and 9 gets us to the bubble. Uh, if we want to feel really secure, 
12 and 8 is what it's going to take. And depending on what the rest of the country looks like, that still might be risky for Dayton just because of where our metrics are right now. Yeah. In the, in the, in the words of Matthew McConaughey in The Wolf of Wall Street, you got to get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. <laughs> they absolutely are. It is, it's not looking good metric-wise. I mean, it's certainly fixable. It's early enough that if we get some wins by significant margins and instead of losing every game by double digits, we minimize our losses and keep them closer. Yeah, less of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I could go for some less uh, non-competitive losses. It's been, uh, yeah. been real tough. We, what the I will? fall behind by 12 thing has started to backfire on us after we thought that was the magic, uh, <laughs> the magic key early on. My one hope, I would say, is the fact that the in terms of like the competition that we're going to be against those middle tier ACC teams and even those upper tier AAC teams, the ones that are kind of normally swimming around in the bubble, I feel like are going to be mostly non-factors this year. That's my blind hope. Uh, ACC sucks. ACC is is terrible. ACC is so bad. Who is the third best team in the ACC? Yeah. Did you listen to the Titus and Tate uh, episode from Uh, Andy Katz asked that exact question. He was like, they were talking about how the Pac-12 has probably the best top three, despite it not being a very good overall conference, probably is the best top three teams. Um, of any conference, and they're saying, like, I'll put it up against the ACC, which is Duke, North Carolina, and whoever else you want it to be. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah. I I guess, like, my answer would be Virginia Tech, probably. Horvick says Virginia Tech. Um, Yeah, like, Louisville is in the mix there. They had a really bad loss um, to DePaul um, uh, this past week. not, like, horribly terrible. No, and that's that's again to my point about how every game is losable this year. Um, yep. DePaul's not bad. Uh, Georgetown's yep. probably pretty clearly the worst, and even they have some bright spots uh, that could pose problems. I think if you're looking at sort of what the games that Marquette should win in the Big East, um, the teams that you're targeting for sweeps are 100%. Uh, uh, Georgetown, Butler, and DePaul. Um, those are the teams that if you can go 6-0 and against them, um, that sort of brings up your your floor. Um, because, man, Butler, Butler, great win against Oklahoma, but it's a lot of the same that we've seen um, under Laval, I think. Joe, did you want to chime in? No, I, actually, yeah, I, just a comment, really more a question for Alan, who just kind of studies this bracketology stuff more than I do, but uh, you know, I kind of thinking, Patrick, where you were saying, like, you know, if you sweep the bad teams and get swept by the good teams, 10 and 10 sounds winnable, but uh, my question for Alan is if, if because we know it's never going to go that way, right? You're probably yeah. going to lose some games you, you don't want to, and maybe you surprise somebody, but if maybe those 10, maybe let's say you upset uh, a Villanova, or maybe you get UConn on the road, or something surprising like that, and then maybe you lose another, maybe you get swept by a middle of the pack team like St. John's or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, could that 
maybe lift the metrics up to maybe where it's a little more interesting. I, you know, granted, I know Alan studies this more than I do, but I, I think kinda, what he says sounds right to me that 10 and 10 sounds like it might be close, but we'd probably be going in with low expectations on Selection Sunday. It certainly helps. And I was looking back at the resumes of the lowest rated ever net teams to make the tournament. Uh, the only sub-60 net teams to get in as at largest were St. John's and Arizona State, uh, both in 2019. Okay. Uh, what stood out about their resumes was, even though, frankly, they weren't that good, uh, on Selection Sunday, I didn't have them in the field, but they both had multiple wins over teams that were on the top five seed lines. Okay. So they had demonstrated the ability to play with really good teams. And maybe if Illinois uh, develops into what we thought they were going to be in the preseason, uh, if West Virginia is a top half Big 12 team, if we pick off a UConn or a Villanova, something like that, I think that would go a long way. Um, I still think that 11 is probably the middle number of wins that we're going to that's just kind of that feel. And kind of speaking to what you were saying earlier, uh, it would help to at least be competitive if you're going out and playing Villanova and UConn and uh, whoever else is top savior and getting blown out by those teams. Like, say, Marquette not only gets swept by those top three, but loses 15-plus in all of them, that's probably not going to help you at all, even if you do get to 10-11 wins. Is that, and in all honesty, we've already done some damage when to ourselves when we beat New Hampshire by five, when we have relatively close margins against SIU Edwardsville and Northern Illinois. It's just, you know, those were the kind of games and there were sort of tipping points in those games where we pushed that margin up. We got it double digits against New Hampshire and then let them back in. We got, I think, 22 on Northern Illinois. And it was that point where you thought, okay, this could go to 30. Well, instead it came back the other way. And... All of that, as much as it seems minimal, when everybody's really close in those ratings, you can see a lot of movement up and down based on those results. And the more you blow teams out, you know, Jackson State was great, but we only did that one of the four times. So yeah. we've already hurt ourselves, and that's why I'm a little bit nervous about our long-term tournament prospects, just because we've already dug ourselves a hole by not beating teams the way that at times those games we were in position to be able to do, we just didn't finish it off. Yeah. One thing I'd say is I just am encouraged and oh God, everyone says it's a soft bubble every year now. Like that's such a cliche. I want to know what a hard bubble is. Yeah. I mean, just, I do you though. I mean, that sounds terrifying. Um, I actually do the 2018 bubble. I remember being particularly difficult. That was when, uh, Marquette made it into the NIT and uh, had that little mini run. I I remember that for some reason being like, man, if this were any other year, the bubble would be a lot softer. That's the only time I can ever possibly think of. And it's probably biased because it went against my desires. Thank you for for having that in your bag because genuinely I only ever remember hearing the bubble being described as soft. Um, The one, the one thing, Alan, do you have, do you have more? On this, I go. To, I defer to you as our bubble guy. <laughs> One thing that may really help Marquette this year, and you guys touched on it already, is the ACC 
sucks. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. Sucks. I mean, yeah. right now you look at the Pac-12, and you have three teams that at the tournament start of the day would be absolute locks in USC, Arizona, and UCLA, but nobody else is even sniffing it at this point. Mm-hmm. So if you have those two leagues combining for you know six, seven bids between them, I would say eight at the most, that's going to open up for somebody else to get in. And that's really going to help a team where your metrics might not be that great, but it, as Gary Parrish always says, you have to put 68 teams in the field. Yeah. You know, not, not many people realize that, but at the end of the day, for a 68 team field, you do have to put 68 teams in there. And if Marquette is in that range, they can at least play themselves into position to do that. Yeah. So that's the um, to take optimistically. The good I'm just delighted that here in the middle of December, we're actually talking about the tournament because I would not have thought we would be at this point of the season, no. kind of going back to a conversation uh, Ben and Patrick were having earlier that uh, has your expectations changed? And like, I agree with Patrick. I'm not ready to say, yes, this should be a tournament team, but I like, I've raised my floor for this team, like where I feel pretty dang good about them getting to the NIT, but uh, yeah. The, yep. And I also feel good that they're not going to finish last in the Big East, which I would have said is at least maybe a possibility before the season before we got to look at this team. Yeah. Um, and they're I, not. They're not going to go like five and fifteen in the Big East. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I would have been open if you would have told me that's possible back in November. I said, okay, yeah, I, I could see that. If, you know, if maybe Daryl Morsell can't score, maybe Ozo hasn't developed, or maybe none of these freshmen are ready to contribute. Yeah, I could see dead last, but now I can't see dead last. So I've raised the floor a little bit, but I'm really, but I agree with what Patrick said earlier that I'm not ready to say yes, this should be a tournament team, or I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, I mean, looking at the Pac-12, I, like the sort of a replica of the uh, tier charts that Payne Touches likes to tweet out uh, time to time on Torvik here. Um, it's basically there's three teams in the upper tier, like we mentioned with Arizona, UCLA, and USC. And then Washington State's efficiency um, is uh, reporting well, but they also just lost to South Dakota State. Um, And then the entire rest of that conference is just a muddled, like, minefield of teams like right in like Marquette's sphere as as far as uh, the metrics go. So it's really the, the level of competition that Marquette needs to separate from um, so to speak is it's not um, impressive. It's, it's a, it's a, the, the depth of power five uh, teams around the country um, is is pretty underwhelming this year. The, the it, one conference- it does help. Yeah, it does help that if nothing else, even the bad Big East teams, even if we want to lump Marquette into that for now, no one except for Georgetown had like such an abysmal non-conference that they were losing by games left and right. And I don't really know if there are actually any Q three losses among the Big East at this point. And, you know, Butler beat Oklahoma. Uh, Marquette obviously still has those couple wins under their belt. Like, if nothing else, they can at least try and get buoyed by some of these middling teams if they can pull out some of those wins. Or maybe that they're not the Q1 wins that we'll be looking for, but it's those little tiny bumps that could maybe make the difference, If especially with all these other conferences having – a good amount of teams like the Pac-12 has the Oregon State, which 
was always going to be. Do you just do like a the Ohio State with with them there? <laughs> the Oregon State. The Oregon State. Um, yeah. But they were supposed to be like kind of middling, but they turned into be just completely horrible. They have like one win or something. So at least avoiding that in the conference and still having that Georgetown team to kind of beat up on is yeah. one of those things that can help rise the tide. Uh, Xavier update. Xavier, uh, Paul Scruggs has zero points and Xavier is up by 30. Wow. So yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's frightening. <laughs> uh, that's Xavier's very good. Although I don't know if Moorhead stay on oh, Moorhead stay is six and four. I don't know if that means that they're any good as far as they're like 151 in Kempom, I think. Oh, that, that'd be pretty high. That'd yeah. be for, to be up by 30, that's that's impressive if, if that's Xavier. Yeah. That's a, also, shout out to Alan for the uh, mention of Arizona State St. John's in that uh, one first four game because it was one of the worst tournament games ever. I think it was like 13 of 43 from three, both teams. Oh, that was that, something like that, that. that first four game where it was just Brick City the whole time. Yes, it was Brick City. Yeah, I think I remember both that. teams okay. had 20 turnovers or something like that. It was yeah. just mind-numbingly bad. Well said. And that was the that was also the Arizona State team that beat Kansas in Lawrence and got to number one. Moorhead and then State torpedoed been, their own season. Morehead State has a victory over Transylvania this year. Wow. Shout out to them. In case you're wondering. So I don't know if that the they're traveling to play the vampires there or um oh yeah wow <laughs> you gotta you gotta make sure you're scheduling it at night too or you can just play at the bradley center <laughs> wait what <laughs> what was that joke the bradley center the bat Is that is that the guy from the anime show on Netflix? Oh no, I really feel old. Uh, it, it is, and it's also the Oh Castlevania, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I grew up with on the original Nintendo. Man, why did I not know that wasn't was an original Nintendo game? I've watched that show on Netflix. It's very uh um a lot, but good. Um it's it's very uh it's very dark um anime but good anyway wow great reference i'm i can't believe i kind of got it but didn't really get it um uh yeah so xavier's kicking butt that's our first game what's our second game is it seton hall no seton hall or yukon i thought Ugh, why is it either of them can it be not either <laughs> one? that's frustrating yeah. To St. John's. Yeah, I just pulled it up. Uh, yeah, Xavier, UConn, St. John's, Creighton, Providence are the first five games. Um, Shout out Creighton for curb stomping BYU and then losing to Arizona State. What the hell? Uh, Doug, first of all. Or not Doug. <laughs> Greg, not Doug. Greg. Greg, man. Yes. Greg. I, 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 I'm going to take that as an intentional joke. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, you could see where I would make that mistake because that's the only time he was actually relevant. Um, <laughs> right, man. It's like almost I, I was listening to the broadcast um, and they were and Raph was talking about how um, Christian Bishop used to do like a lot of awesome stuff for Creighton last year. And it's like I wanted to be like, yeah, well, then the coach like said something racist in the locker room and Christian Bishop transferred. So yeah. I guess that's just what happens when when you don't fire that dude for doing that. It's just like, God, what do we yeah. We're, we're society has advanced past the need to keep Greg McDermott at Creighton. Mm-hmm. Man, Christian Bishop does not play that much at Texas. That's no, sad. he's not, dude. He didn't play in the um, in the Gonzaga game almost at all. They've been playing this other kid at center. Dude, what the hell? Like he was like, yeah, actually good it. at defense, and he was stuck guarding Theo John as a six foot seven center. I was yelling at the TV during that Texas Gonzaga game that. Um, they were choosing to guard um, Timmy with Cunningham at points instead of putting Bishop in, and I was just like, Ew. "What are you? What are you doing? That kid's like six five. Like he's not going to guard Timmy." Um, but Texas is uh, Texas is kind of um, iffy. Yeah, iffy. That's a good word. Yeah, iffy. I mean, they're two games. They've played absolutely no one. And then two games against. They've actually gone on a nice tour of the the whack playing Cal Baptist, Sam Houston State, and Rio Grande Valley. Um, but they've basically played eight bye games and Gonzaga and Seton Hall. And they've won all eight of the bye games, all of them pretty convincingly, and then just like caught manhandled by Gonzaga. And Seton Hall, who's probably less talented, just like overpowered them. And that was a true road yep. game. But both of those were true road games, I guess, but. There's a real opportunity. Actually, the first part of their Big 12 schedule is somehow like insanely easy. And then the final month is just, it is an absolute gauntlet. Like it's just every single game is like having to fight Grand from Lord of the Rings. From Game of Thrones? Grand? The big pig that's on fire? What is that like a Lord of the Rings book thing? No, uh, Grand here. Oh, you're gonna. I was gonna to... send you a picture, but that's bad podcasting. Um, wait. Yeah. What is this reference? Okay, from Lord of the Rings. Right. From like it's the main... uh during um uh pig on oh what's fire? the uh it's that big battering ram in that uh what's that. Man, this is not a reference. I've seen all the Lord of the Rings movies like three times. From Return of the King. Oh my oh everyone listening, everyone listening to the podcast is yelling at us. This is like, well, no, I don't know. Man, if I didn't get Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith and everyone chants Grand, Grand, Grand. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's just an orc though. Why did you say a pick? Isn't it's a battering it ram. Isn't it? Oh, no. wait. Okay. All right. I'm I'm lost. Uh, okay. That was that was. We really fell in the pit. It there. was a, it was a slight it was a slight deep cut reference. So uh, I think it, I would say more than slight. Okay. Yeah. Probably. Actually. Um, but <laughs> was, anyway, Texas's the, final Big Twelve schedule is very hard. You could have said so many formidable things other than <laughs> like that. Like 
the like 18th least obscure <laughs> in Lord of the Rings. Like yeah, they, even more intimidating figures in Lord of the Rings could have been mentioned. Like you, yeah, that, could have said Sauron. That was probably outside the top 10, like most relevant Lord of the Rings references you could have made, let alone any other IP in the entire world that you could have referenced there. The three um, people I got it are rolling over laughing right now. I'm yeah. sure they are. <laughs> All right. How do we, how do we want to, how do we want to pull this one to a, to a conclusion here? What is, what's, what's something we haven't touched on yet? I think we've, uh, done, good, we've done good midweek Marquette talk. I'm, I think I'm, so impressed I'm impressed with what we've um, done. I like Cam Jones quite a bit. I also like Cam Jones. Uh, the play that Shaka ran for him um, uh, against Kansas State was absolutely electric. Yeah, the like kind of how you were saying, let the kids have fun. Like Shaka knew Cam had the hot hand. He wasn't the – he's like still not the quote-unquote proven scorer, but he was hot that day. We needed a win get the ball in his hands and let's boogie and he did it indeed so shout out cam let's boogie indeed uh i think um it it jars my mind or um it frustrates me how about that um that he can be hot against kansas state and then cold against ucla like that and that this team could be because if this team can make threes pretty consistently I mean, the kind of stuff that Shock has been able to draw up to get those threes and to and to you know regularly get good looks uh, that they can convert is pretty exciting. I think there's just an issue of some some of these games they're just not able to to cash in, and so all that cool design and complex passing and you know that awesome play for Cam kind of goes for naught if they're not shooting well. But I mean, again, that that game against Kansas State was. But that that play and that design, like awesome, mm-hmm. phenomenal. Mwah. Chef's kiss. Even just league average, that's my hope. Just get to around D one average, and you can win some games. Um, I will see your Cam Jones is good take and raise you an I want to see more Marion Ellis uh, take. Mm-hmm. Um, especially yeah. with how. Tyler Kolick, I think, played 36 minutes against UCLA. Um, and I wanted him on the court for about five of them. Um, <laughs> and so just because, I mean, he was he was so flagrantly bad in that game. But the yeah. fact that he still played 36 minutes was quite an indictment of the depth that we have at guard. Um with Stevie and Marion Ellis each playing five. Um, I think Stevie can't shoot at all, and that might be a problem. His yeah. shot looks really not good. Um, yeah, real terrible of, Wilson hours. Yeah, and, like, just mechanically, too. It just doesn't yeah. look good. Yeah, it's not good. Um, and so Marion Ellis, whose shot does look good, uh, I would like to see – get more Kolick minutes uh, back a point guard, please. And thank you. Would love to see it. I think he's got a high ceiling and I don't know if Kolick's a point guard, even though I love how he can pass. Um, I don't love what essentially assuming the point guard role has done to his offensive game overall, which is completely crater it. Um, mm-hmm. He was basically more of a, more of a shooting guard at George Mason last year. Um, and 
like scored like 10 points a game. And now like for two straight games has been completely incapable psychologically and physically of putting the ball in the basket. So like if that's causing him problems, having to run the point and is throwing off the rest of his game, let Marion Ellis do it more. Cam Jones' yeah, handle isn't tight enough. Otherwise I would suggest him, but his handle is very loose. Yeah. Um, so, Greg Elliott. You want to talk about Greg? Oh, Elliott? Yeah. yeah. That was sweet. That was incredible. A little round of applause. Yes, very yeah. fun. Oh, I didn't, I kind of heard you clap. I guess it didn't register. Um, yeah. yeah, holy crap, man! What a what a game for him. Two games, even he he, yeah. was, he had a like, stretch of three possessions against K State that uh, put us ahead. I think mostly for good, and he's kind of yeah. He's getting the swagger back a little bit. Well, let's just not sleep on him getting 22 points in a game, which is mm-hmm. um, clicking on his career game logs here. I don't. This is career high. It was right. I don't need to look that. Yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. His previous career high was like 18. Yeah. So but he was yeah. kind of the he was the one reason that I mean, talking about uh, Allen, uh, his. Uh, you know, emphasis on keeping the margins of losses down, you know, like Marquette was down like 20 for most of the game and well, 11 versus 20 matters. Marquette was down 33 to 10 and then Greg started making shots and it was a game at halftime, uh, almost exclusively because Greg was just on fire. Um, Yeah. So that week for Greg's overall shout succession. (laughs) Yes. Oh, what a, what a spoilies, but uh, well, um, I will, I will say one thing. It, it is more of a grand duchy. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, wow. What a, I mean, we can, that, that was, that was very good. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, oh my God. What a, what an episode. Yeah. Cousin Greg, just like really, really out, out kicking his coverage, um, in the last couple episodes here of, of succession with some, some just phenomenal uh, potentially uh, acquiring some some royal title. Mm-hmm. What a what a what a time to be alive for cousin Greg. Eighth in um, line to the Kingdom of Luxembourg. Yeah, and and I would also just like to um, fully commit to the Greg Elliott tweets being cousin Greg gifs for yes. the season. I think that's I think that we're there. We've adopted that as a as a Twitter uh, population, but I'd, I'd just like to fully confirm that that's where we're at and that's where we're going to be for the rest of the year. All in. For sure. We just need a Tom now on the team somehow. Ooh. See, that would have been Jamal Kane. It's true. Because he's yeah. like, whatever. He's doing great at Oakland, and I'm very he happy. Ne- he him. negotiated a Grexit to, uh, <laughs> to Oakland. Yep. Yeah, unfortunate. All right, let's wrap it up. Patrick Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, let's wrap it up before we get on Patrick Baldwin tangents. Is Patrick Baldwin playing well? I mean, I no, he's not. He's not? Oh, no, man. no, no, very much not. Oh, wow. That's a surprise. Uh, I think Lochner well, tweeted out something about how he's, like, really taking his own draft stock. Oh, man. Gosh, what a tough call that is if you don't play well to go to UWM. That's just – Patrick Baldwin – Come to death row across the street. Yeah. Come disappointing. Come disappointing. Like Cam Reddish did at Duke is one thing. Cause I mean, you're still at Duke as a high recruit, but if you're 
high rank recruit and then struggle in the Horizon League at mm-hmm. UWM. Yeah, Not so great. UWM has two wins. They're two in a million, two in nine, it looks like, two and eight, two and eight. Um, Pat Baldwin didn't play for three games, so that's interesting. He was hurt. He was hurt, okay. And he's got three pretty decent scoring games. Um, against Rhode Island, wow, we missed him. But, man, he had 25 minutes. Oof. Yeah, 25 minutes, one for eight from the field and six points. That's terrible. Not good. Call at Colorado. He was, oh my God. He was three for 13 from the field with 12 points. Yuck. Can't yeah. do that. That's 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 really not good. Um, anyway, that's a that was a weird Patrick Baldwin tangent. All right, let's wrap this up. Um okay. potential for some sort of space after Xavier, maybe not. Definitely going to try to time it with a game next time. Um, the question is, what game? Um, maybe, maybe Xavier, but but I don't know. It's kind of a busy and then Christmas. But when definitely UConn game uh, Wednesday. Maybe that Wednesday. Oh no, Tuesday. Tuesday of next week. So six days from now. Um, and then they're off for eight days before they go to St. John's the next Wednesday. So yeah, Tuesday. Eh, I don't know. It'd be sick to beat UConn. I don't know if they win either of those games. I'll, I'll do a space. Screw it. I'll commit to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Like if they win either of those games, I don't think they're going to win either of those games, but if they do like, hell yeah. And especially if it's UConn, cause I would love to just shit on UConn for a while. That'd be absolutely. I would, would make me happy. Those cocky MFers just all their, all their talk is, is real, real fun. Um, these As days. a beloved Wichita state fan, just, Oh yeah. I, I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest. I hate them. I hate yeah, them all. They love to slander your conference. It's it's real. It's real difficult. Um, Particularly just anyone from a semi-rural population, but we don't have to get uh, into yeah. that element yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's not fun. Um, all right. Cool. Good pod. Um, thanks everyone for joining us on Spaces. I'm glad you were able to enjoy hearing our live thoughts here and uh, we'll post this uh, tomorrow morning probably. Later. Later.